Welcome to the Surviving Depression Podcast. My name is Carl Binger and I am the host. I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York, owner of a private practice, author of the book, The Progressive Darkness, and founder of the Surviving Depression Facebook group. I hope that through this podcast, you will hear stories around depression that will educate you, give you hope, and break the stigma around depression. Please be sure to join the supportive Facebook group where we do monthly giveaways and try our best to be a light to depression. Also, feel free to visit the website survivingdepressiongroup.com to buy merchandise or listen to and watch free resources. Okay, so we are live. Welcome to the Surviving Depression Podcast. Um, I'm very, very honored to have a friend, uh, Katina Richardson. Uh, she goes by Tina as well, uh, but she's a licensed mental health counselor. Tina and I met when we both worked at Excellus as um, case managers. And, um, you know, from then, you know, just kind of uh, kept the connection and, uh, you know, just wanted you to be on the podcast. So thank you for joining uh, today, Katina. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. And Absolutely. yeah, we both kind of took our passions and just hit the road so independently with what we want to do, right? Just like this is this is what I want to do out in private practice. And, um, you know, I've been working with children for 20 years, so I'm so happy I'll talk about it to like, anyone Absolutely. who listens. So, so this is great that you've invited me to do this. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, let me uh, let me introduce you, Dan Katina. Uh, so, uh, Katina is a licensed mental health counselor and a certified play therapist with a master's degree in counseling. She has been providing psychotherapy to children and adolescents since 2000. Her career started as a school counselor, followed by clinical mental health counseling at Unity Health and Strong Behavioral Health, leading to private practice. Tina has worked with children and families within the rural, suburban, and urban communities. As a, okay. certif as a certified play therapist, she specializes in treating anxiety and depression with children ages two to five and Tina has extensive experience, education, and training in the areas of play therapy, child development, children from divorced parents and blended families, co-parenting support, strengthening parent-child relationships, traumatic stress, abuse survivors, children in foster care, and mindfulness meditation. So yes, wow. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, so many of those overlap. So when I cut them down and just sort of like take, like untangle them a little bit, all of them are still, you know, woven into working with a child, you know, like understanding their background and then giving parent support, um, understanding like the, what the parents see at home and what the, the teachers see at school. And just like the child's history. So and it's all kind of just included in getting to know the child and then just, you know, providing the, the play therapy for them. Yes, for sure. And so 
I want to ask you, uh, Katina, like, how did you first get into, you know, this this field and like, you know, get this passion for children? How did it all start for you? Well, the very last course I took to get my uh, to finish my master's degree in counseling back in like 2000 um, was a play therapy course. And, you know, throughout the the closing kind of uh, courses that you take in grad school, a, a lot of the students, you know, ask each other, so what population do you think you want to work with? And I didn't know, like, I had no idea, older, I, younger, I, I had no idea. So as soon as I took the play therapy course, I was like, this is it, like this, this is my jam. I can totally get into this. It feels so organic and, children, uh, you know, their innocence, and it feels um, more like a preventative and, and like an intervention, although a lot of kids do end up, you know, coming in for therapy when things are already in, in somewhat of a crisis for them. Um, in other words, like the symptoms and situation has been going on for a while. So yeah, that was it. Like I just took that course and I was like, that's it. So I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. And one of my first patients ever was four years old. So I was taking the play therapy course and, uh, and one of the, the professors is a, a supervisor of certifying a play therapist. So I did like a year of training. I think it's maybe like, I don't even remember how many hours. <laughs> so it's like videoing and, and supervision. And it, it takes like a year yeah. to, to get the certification. It's, it's weekly work. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's quite, it, it, it's, it's like, it really helps put value on a certified or registered play therapist versus a therapist who has toys in their office, which is fine too. But I noticed lately, like parents have been coming to me saying I was referred to you or I was referred for my child to get play therapy. So I'm so glad that that word, the, the combination of that play therapy is is just more common. It yeah. wasn't when I first started my career at all. Like even 15, yeah. 10 years ago, it was like, yeah, no one really was a play therapist. So the like, education and the awareness is out there now. Yeah, I think people are really enjoying it and seeing that when you, you know, children play, they save yes. their thoughts and feelings and experiences. And with the the skills of understanding, you know, their emotions and reflecting their emotions and sitting with them, you know, that's how we can identify some depression and some anxiety and sort of teach a kids, teach kids how to label their feelings and reflect, like mirror, mirror their feelings yes. and, um, and kids will be referred for symptoms of depression. And if you even try to Google young children and depression, you you won't find much as far as like diagnosis or symptoms, what to look for, not for like the age group that I work for, yeah. maybe like one or two studies that was done over the past five or 10 years, but it's not like as, it's easy to find as like symptoms of depression for teenagers and adults. Like it's just really hard to identify that with children because so many people just think it's a behavioral, like right. he needs attention. He's seeking attention. Just ignore him. He's acting up. He's acting out. He's, or she's, you know, just being disruptive right now and being too loud. And, you know, it's a, a lot of that. And instead of just like, okay, let's look what's behind the behavior. Could it be some symptoms of depression? What's going on in the child's life right now? And um, I think I was talking about this the other day with you is one of the biggest 
responses that I have when I talk about depression and anxiety, because they're so overlapping that when I say depression, yeah. I often will say Absolutely. anxiety too. Yeah. And they're the two big umbrellas. And it's like this Venn diagram of them both kind of overlapping with, you know, so many similar symptoms. Um, just that, you know, one of the first responses I get from an adult is, you know, well, what do children have to be depressed about? Like their lives right. Right. Like they have nothing to worry about. Like they why would a child be come on? They're not depressed. Like what does a child have to be depressed about? Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of like zoom out and just look at yourself. Imagine yourself in a, you know, in a child's body, the height, um, the lack of like independence and freedom to to come and go to make your own decisions. Like and then like trying to navigate through the stressors that are going on, maybe for them at school, if they yeah. have trouble learning or navigate the stressors that might be going home with um, with parents who are, you know, in chronic kind of conflict and maybe they're going through a divorce or maybe the family has moved a lot. So, it, it, I mean, a death in the family. Um, yeah. So it's not just a kid crying and then you're like, OK, my kids, my kids depressed. It, it's it's a chronic kind of thing that goes on for months and months, like you know, children who have sleeping changes and appetite changes. And, you know, they're afraid to sleep alone or they're having nightmares. It, it's all worth exploring, not necessarily diagnosing, but but it's worth exploring and getting to like the why. Why is this happening? It's not just, you know, they're acting out or um, they're doing it to annoy me in some way. I mean, that's part of it, but, you know, like, like understand what, what could be going on for your child to cause the behaviors that are linked to the thoughts and the feelings. Sure. Yeah. And so, so Katina, what, um, what age groups are you working with two to five-year-olds or are you working with, you know, other, like primarily, or are you working with other age groups as well? Uh, right now, I mean, the past like year or so, I've really narrowed it down to kids six and under, and I have a pretty full schedule and lots of referrals within just that population. I just find it just so much more valuable to just be, you know, like focused on this developmental stage and and all that goes on in a child's life from like the zero to five kind of range. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, then I then I don't have to like go back and forth. But I, I can work with teenagers, and I really enjoy working so much with like middle school age kids and high school right. kids, even like college kids and like the elderly population. Like I've had a mix of of patients with you know range of of ages and and depression symptoms, but you know I'd say probably eighty percent of my work the past twenty years has been with children six and under. I see. Okay. Yeah, and so like. You know, you mentioned that like a parent will say something like, you know, what do kids have to be depressed about? Like, are there some things that children say to you where you're kind of like, you know, you hear a common thing from children where they're kind of like saying something or is it just mostly the parents? I don't know necessarily that I would see the standout depression symptoms while we're playing during a play therapy session. Um, it can look like anger, agitation, um, being really unsettled in some way, and just being sort of like, I guess, defiant in a way, like like almost kind of pushing me away, like, like 
they, they, they don't want to be, they don't want to engage. So, right. I mean, that could be a little, I mean, children that age don't have the language. I mean, there are kids that can tell their parents, like, I'm really sad. I want to go back to see Katina. Things are going on in my life. But it, right. it's, it's, it's so rare. And I don't think that parents should ever wait for a child to tell them, I've been sad for a long time. And, right. you know, like, it, it's either depression or anxiety or, or something else for a child. It, it, that's always what's underneath all of it. Yeah. And, and then when you peel all that back, always, you know, what could be underneath it is some biological components, which I, if it's not my area of expertise, like I, there's no blood test or anything. So I just pretty much stick to what's going on in the child's life from the day I meet them and backwards, you know, right. um, what have they been through? Yeah. Have, have they had their own kind of um, medical problems? Have they lived with a parent with medical problems? And it's just stressful and sad and, you know, kids, kids worry because they don't, they don't know, they, they don't know what they don't know. So they right. don't even know how to ask. Sometimes they just live in sort of state of, uh, of fear. Yeah. And, and it can look like regressive behavior. Like I, I see a lot of kids who parents will say, um, you know, I get really annoyed because he or she talks to me in like a baby voice and, and I like, it's so hard for me to think that's annoying. So I try really hard to just put myself in their shoes and just be like, okay, yeah, I guess that, I guess I could see where that be, would be annoying because you know, your child is six years old, you know, they don't talk like, like a baby, right. but children will regress. That's part of what they do when they're anxious or depressed or really highly stressed about something. It could be anything like there's a new baby coming. Um, we're getting ready to move. Um, they're living, you know, in like, more severe kind of cases in an environment where there's domestic violence, where there's, you know, chronic abuse, mental abuse, um, physical abuse. And, you know, there, I do see many kids, unfortunately, that have experienced sexual abuse that age. So, you know, that's, that is just, you know, yeah, it doesn't get any worse than that. And there's no better reason to bring a child in. Right. Get some therapy when, when they. So I got a I got a question for you. With that being said, like, has there been a time like working with kids? Obviously, they're, you know, they're innocent a lot of times, right? And it's it's got to be hard when a child is hurting or in a very abusive or traumatic situation. Has there ever been a time where you felt like you had to step away for from counseling for a while with this population because of the trauma to the kids? I think what helps me most is continuing to educate myself. Like I have to really dive into all there is to know about trauma, all there is to, to know about someone's reaction responses to trauma. And the more I can like feel closer to, to my own background and like, unless you were raised by Buddha or Jesus, like you have experienced trauma in your life, you know, right. yeah. and it's just what, how you have how it's come out either you know it's stuffed down and you just over function and out throughout your life but children i think have a difficult time doing that so they're like you know vulnerable and, and innocent and and they it just comes right out and especially while they're playing it comes out i mean i see a lot of kids that are easily agitated they overreact um you know they'll cry easily or get sad easily but you know, a lot of it, I should just say, is 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 trauma related. Yeah. And it's the trauma I don't 
it's not like plane crashes, that kind of trauma stuff. It's right. It's like stress within their school or home environment. Every yeah. time it boils right down to that, the community, the home, the school. And I don't say that like in a blameful way. I just say right. that in an encouraging way, like, okay, once we know where the environments are to help kind of help, help this kid figure out what's going on in this kid's life, uh, then we can work with it. Right. Yeah. You know, we, we can help we can help resolve it and identify any problems that are causing this child to feel these heavy emotions, these big emotions. Right. And we can work with it. Like I was saying before, like maybe they have a learning disability and we don't know that yet. Um, you know, some kids have had hearing loss due to hearing ear infections and they don't hear that well. Right. And, you know, they, they need to get their their sight and their hearing checked and yeah. they have st chronic stomach aches and they don't yep. know how to right it's like there's so many reasons yeah. for a child to to act certain ways yes for sure right so how do you so how do you um how do you how do you self care and like you know what I mean like kids struggling and suffering for so long is this something that you're kind of like you're gifted in a way that it doesn't really bother you that much or do you kind of take breaks for oh, yourself? No. When, I, when I get into the stories of each kid, because I see a child and as soon as I hear their story and get in touch with what their daily life is like, like it plays like a movie in my head over and over again. Like I see the child and I see all that I have learned about them. Mm -hmm. Right. And and yeah, if I sit with it long enough, all, all of these are, are dreadful, awful. And a lot of times I'll just kind of on with the parents about that. Like, you know, like this is so unfair that your child is going through this, like like a, a parent in prison or or a dad or a mom who's just abandoned the child. And then one parent has to raise them and the child doesn't know what's going on. Or even a parent with like um, a major depression or like personality disorders that just make it really difficult to have relationships. Mm -hmm. So uh, bonding with, with the parents, I think has, has helped me because sometimes they really need that too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They really need to just, to just be sad yeah. about what's going on and then to kind of feel the joy of, um, okay, we can like, we can find our way through this. Yes. Yes. I mean, there, is, there is joy in it. Cause it's like, yeah. okay, this isn't like, my child isn't cursed for life and and labeled as like you know suicidal or unsafe or or anything and um i mean sometimes the depression symptoms can get bad or or serious enough where a child does need a lot of supervision um one of the first kids i ever worked with was maybe 3 or 4 years old and he had been um in and out of a lot of different foster homes in his little baby life and when he during bath time like he would tell his foster mom, like, I want to drown. I want you to drown me. I want to mm. die. I want to. So it wasn't like, oh, he heard it in a movie and he said it once. It was like every bath time he would say this. Mm. So then parents have to like think of their entire home and, and safety proof their home. And it, it's not just like supervise the child. It's like really interacting with the child. Yes. So the child always feels the, the emotional presence of the parent you know, not like you're breathing down their neck like a helicopter parent, but just right. um, their presence, their emotional presence, like that makes you sad. And um, just to be a buffer 
but but yeah, I mean, in those circumstances where a child does express death, dying, um, I want to jump out the window. I mean, take it seriously, like you wouldn't, right. right? Like, take it seriously, hide sharp things, call, you know, let the pediatrician know, let the school teacher know, don't keep it a secret. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's, not, yeah. it's not a secret. It's, 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 it's not shameful. There's nothing right. to be ashamed about. It's like, if anything, it, it shows how smart and attentive and mm. the wisdom and, and the compassion you feel for your child by by getting the help, by talking about it, talk about it with other parents. And, you know, I talk about it with colleagues too. Like you and I have had talks about kids yeah. and stuff. And some of my close colleagues, sometimes I need to just tell them right away, you know, like I, I met a child today and this is what they've gone through. And, uh, you know, I just need to kind of deep breathe and, and just feel the joy of knowing like, okay, their life is going to get better from today on. Yes. So like hope you, you it's like the hope that's involved with it, but it's it's sad. It's 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 tragic. I think sometimes I sit with that tragic feeling of like this poor little baby has been alive three or four years and has already gone through more than like some people at ninety years old have gone. Through. Yes, yeah, right? like right, yeah, and you know it's it's just amazing. Like I'm I'm always trying to really normalize you know, mental health and mental illness amongst men, amongst black men. Like, and it's amazing that we, we have to normalize it in so many arenas, right? As therapists, for children, for parents, like yeah. it's on all battlefronts, right? In terms of normalizing, you know. I the language is becoming a little more common. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, I hear people say like triggered and yes. I, I mean, I, I don't know if they always use it in context, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's sort of. I feel like we're moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, there's still a huge stigma at any age, like you're saying, that black men or men that have come back from fighting in war, or just like your child. Like, I don't want my child to be labeled as depressed or anything, which was, right. isn't even a thing. The kids won't get labeled. That doesn't right. not a thing. Um. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's it's a lot. But I'm glad. So there are some steps forward uh, being made uh, for mental health and awareness. But then, you know, there's still the struggle in 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 every individual home and community and things like that. Um, yeah, we always want to think like that happens to other people and other that happens to other people. And it's it's like a small part of the population. And it's not it's not. Right. I think every human being, I mean, if you have a pulse, you are at some point in your life going to have some period of time where you experience depression and or anxiety. Yeah, you know, and sure. I, I would rather explore all of the options, uh, you know, every avenue, exhaust every avenue before ever seeing a child get put on medication. Like that is, for me, that's like the last resort. So yes, I just absolutely. want to get clear when I talk about depression and anxiety with children that I don't think of medication. You know, I think of like, let's rule out everything that could be going on for this child. Yes, absolutely. So how would, how do you help a child? So a child comes into your office, you know, dealing with depression, like how do you, how do you start to help them to process their feelings or deal with the depression that they're dealing with? Um. Well, you know, in our field, you know, it's, if we really subscribe to the whole Rogerian kind of, and therapists that are listening will know what I'm talking about, Rogerian kind of approach. It's 
it's all based on the relationship. So a child needs to know from the very first time they meet me that I am present. Uh, it's non-judgmental. They are safe in my room. I I let them know that you know I will I will tell you if you're doing something that you can't do in here. You can say anything you want in here, and you could play with any of the toys that you see. If you ever want to me to play with you, you can ask me to play with you. And I think just given that like those amount of choices and freedom, some kids uh, they are like literally like their jaw opens. <laughs> like right. like yeah. what you're not going to tell me to draw my family or right. to you know, it, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is a whole different therapeutic approach, but I, I've learned and subscribe and do this with every single child I've ever worked with is always non-directive. It's not my therapy session. It's the child. So right from the moment they meet me, I have to really make sure that they feel my presence, that we start to build rapport. We start to build trust. Like, you know, I start on time, I, I end on time and I'm just as, um, not so much structured, but yeah. You know, I want to let, I want it to be predictable in some way, even yeah. down to like where I put the toys sometimes. So they so come through. And yeah, if there's so it a creates pool. a measure of safety and yes, yeah, yeah it, it it is safe in there. Like I'm yeah. not, um, yeah, like I'm not going to overreact. I'm not going to yell at them. Yeah, you know, if, they're, if they're jumping around, I will just raise my voice and just let them know, like, oh, let's play safe in here. Let's put our feet on the floor or whatever kind of directive I need to do, like in a safety sense, if someone's going to get broken or someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. But um, other than that, yeah, it's building the relationship. The first like four to five sessions can be all yes trust building. I mean, that's like the first stage of life is trust. So, yes. if, you know, if that's the first stage that has to happen and and it has to stay that foundation has to stay all along yes so that they know that they're like okay i trust her i'm just gonna like i'm just gonna do whatever i need to do in here yeah so it, <laughs> no. it sounds like I'm, I'm gonna put my therapist hat on it sounds like what you're saying is so that that therapeutic bond and that environment of healing and understanding and empathizing that you create for this child opens them up to healing and expressing themselves in ways that you know that you can understand them better and they can understand themselves better yeah it is i mean it's just like almost as simple and as complicated as that <laughs> right yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> right and, and i it's so nice to work with the population of parents that I have over the years who are so receptive to learning counseling skills. Yeah. And that's part of my job. It's part of what it's not like I'm the magic person that's going to like fix your child. And you know, that it's, that's not it at all. Like I'm going to get the foundation going and, and have the child learn to do stuff in front of me that they may hold back if a parent is in the room. Like, I don't want them to see me doing this with the doll or I don't, right. you know, like kids will play differently when a parent is in the office. I see it a lot. So when I work with a child, it's just the child and just me. When I talk with parents, it's adult talk only. We don't talk about, um, behavioral modification. We don't talk about parenting in front of the child because, the last thing you ever want to do is show a child that their parent needs to be taught how to parent. Right. I mean, what a way to like undermine a parent right there from right. the beginning. So everything is done separately and the child will just pick different toys. I mean, there is a, a set list of toys of recommended toys to have in a playroom. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing that like, 
like you press a button and it makes sounds and nothing like battery operated, like an Elmo or something like that. It's mostly like toys that children can be creative and build with like, no, you know, the toys that are common in everyone's house probably right now, if you have a child that like Legos and blocks and, you know, Tinker toys and Lincoln logs and, and, and Barbies and dolls and stuffed animals. And yeah, all that kind of stuff, like little fine motor skill stuff. And then um, I don't really have a whole lot of room in my office for a large motor skill, but I do have, a, a couch that you know some kids will want to jump on and i like right. it's okay with me like you in yeah. here you can jump on that couch so right um so there is a sense of freedom and i think once they know that and their feelings are constantly like being reflected to them like oh look that makes you so happy right. one of the first things that a parent will tell me when i say okay what are you seeing outside of the session is you know he's been like telling me more often, like, I'm really mad right now, mom, mm, you know, yeah. or, or dad, I really don't like when you do that. Yes. <laughs> so I know that's not always what a parent wants to hear, but it's much better than a child, like not like, expressing, right. More like, you know, swiping uh, the table clean of all the glasses of milk or something, you know, it's much, right. We would rather hear a child verbalize their feelings. Absolutely. Yes. How, right. And that's, right. That's that is that has been consistently one of the first um, kind of pieces of feedback I get from parents when they tell me after maybe four or five sessions, like, oh, I kind of notice, you know, he's been expressing emotions like here more and, yeah. and with his body. Like, yeah, they yeah. may cry a little louder, but but they also be maybe more consolable. And yes, yeah, and it's it, amazing, it, right? Because, like, if if a child is holding all that stuff in, right, it's contributing to more you know, challenges within them. But if they're able to express that, how much healthier exactly. are they as individuals? That's what they do to yeah. play therapy. It, yeah. they're like, okay, I can do whatever I want in here, pr- pr- pretty much everything that I want to do. Right. And and once that's all kind of unloaded and unpacked for them, and they just, usually by 10, 15 sessions, some parents will say, okay, you know, I'm seeing such consistent improvement. Yes. Every week we have to meet. Um, that, you know, let's, let's start thinking about going every other week, every three yeah. weeks, maybe, maybe counting down like four or five sessions till we say goodbye. So it's not meant to be forever. The only long-term um, children that I've really worked with are the ones that have been really, really severely neglected and abused in, in different foster homes. And that, you know, that's like, I consider that kid to be you know, like under my wing for just as often as they need and as long as they need it. So. Right. Right. So are there, are there any, uh, any tips or, you know, anything you'd say to a parent who may be on the fence about bringing their kid to counseling or, you know, is, is there anything you'd recommend or just encourage a parent, you know, out there who's listening and yeah, you know questions what I would say is, when you notice just about every day or every week or in certain circumstances or situations that you constantly have to tell your child, you know, like calm down, lower your voice, no hitting, no hitting, no hitting. It's like that, that's worth attending to. That is a child who's just not getting their needs met. And it's not the fault of the parent. It's not the fault of the parent. It's like just, just, Knowing that, okay, the parent, it's a signal, it's a red flag. Look at it, it's like, okay, it's a red flag. I'm going to talk to the pediatrician and I'm going to talk to the, the teacher at the school and see what they see at school. And 
um, yeah, just don't ignore, don't, don't just ever tell yourself, this is just normal childhood behavioral stuff. And right. especially with another kid who doesn't act and feel in, in those ways and, and one does and one doesn't like, you know, we're all built differently and we all respond to, to stress differently. So, um, dig more, dig more into finding out like, why is my child wetting the bed? And why does my child seem so needy and, and can't separate from me without like throwing up or, or breaking down in tears. So right. yeah, it's worth looking into. Don't just ever chalk it up to, you know, my child is just, um, it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your dog I hear over there? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like six feet away from me and you can hear. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's all good. Um, uh, it's a cute dog too, right? It's a it's a bulldog, right? English bulldog, yeah. English bulldog, yeah. Um, so, uh, what is are there are there any special projects you're working on? Like, you know, you're in private practice. How like what trage what trajectory are you going on with with private practice? Like, do you do you plan on being like a national speaker at some point, or like what's oh going on? Goodness. Well, I, that's like. I'm, I, that's one of the things I'm not afraid of. Like I'm, I'm, I've always been okay with public speaking and I, I don't even, I think there's already so many, maybe people throughout the country that, ha that have that place at the podium, but I, I'm happy to talk about all, anything I can talk about that I've learned in either books from like gurus that I followed, like, like therapists who have been, um, have a huge, have had a huge influence on me. And through working with kids and parents, like I can only share what that part of what I have. But yeah, yeah, I would love to. Maybe if you write another book, you can um, save a chapter for me. Ooh. Yeah, you know what? I actually thought about that. I actually thought about um, writing like a like a book with multiple you know authors in it. Like I think that would be good, especially bringing some yeah. more awareness around. It, What's that? A compilation with yes. with, your, with your podcast people and yeah, that would be great. Wouldn't that would be great. Yeah, just, I really would. Yeah, it's it's just so worth it for parents. I would just say to get to know your kid, know your kid, and when you're talking with someone who knows kids, me, and I'm 16 year old myself, so I, this whole play therapy and and being a child therapist has really helped me as a parent. Yeah. To to listen to be a, like a, a listener. And then a responder versus like reacting. So, uh, where was I going? Yeah. So would you? So would you? Um, so what do you see long term or short term no, for no. like private practice? I I, I want to stay right where I am. I mean, I'm 50, so I'm like, okay, I'm <laughs> well, I retire, so that's it. Right. Yeah. No, um, that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying something. I forgot. Maybe it'll come to me. Uh, I think we were talk. We talked about the compilation, the book. Then we talked about national speaker, and then um, I, I, yeah, I just essentially, you know, wanted to know just be and I and I know we we've talked about it a lot, you know, back you know when we were working together. But you know, being in private practice is so liberating, right? It's such a liberating. Yeah. It it was like I remember you telling me, and if, you know how it is. Like you hear someone saying stuff, and then you're like, you can't really understand it until you actually experience it. 
but it truly was and is liberating. And That's so right. um, I was kind of like poking you every now and then just, <laughs> just join yeah. the private practice world. Yes. Especially when you have such a passion and knowledge and belief in what you do. Yes. I mean, that's, I think, what a big thing that I've learned, too. Like, I believe in what I do. And yeah. I I read, I just gravitate towards most things in life that are, uh, that I'm learning podcasts or books, uh, recent journal articles about children, about depression, about development and parenting. Like, I, the parent-child relationship is so significant. Yes. So. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I mean, well, I'll keep doing that. that. But yeah, what I like really what you enjoy and what you're passionate about. And if this is your your thing and this is like yeah, what you what you're doing it's long term. Yeah, I've always thought like instead of being the jack of all trades, like just yeah. just master kind of what you believe in and what your skill set is and just keep keep moving. So I, I think I'm moving forward like in ways that aren't moving my office somewhere or right. collaboration out in my future with anyone. But I, I, there's a growing population of child therapists in the Rochester area, and there is a Rochester area child therapist contact list available. Oh, wow. Just okay. contact me and I will get it to you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and how can- Child therapists in the area. How can our listeners uh, best contact you if they decided to reach out? So email or? Yeah, it's uh, Katina, my first name, C-A-T-I-N-A dot mm-hmm. L-M-H-C at Gmail. So email me and I can send you a list. I update it every four months because we have a Facebook group of the Rochester area child therapists. So I ask them, say, okay, who's new? Whose um, contact information is changing? So I could add that to the list. We send it to schools and pediatricians and parents. And That's awesome. I, I don't even know if one's ever been invented before, but but it's a, it's it's great to have because there are, I don't even know, there's something like 30 or 40 therapists on the list that are all child and adolescents. More, most therapists that work in the child adolescent group focus on probably like 10 and up. Yeah. So yeah. that's why this is my niche and it, and this is where I belong. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the, contact me if you're listening and you would like um, a copy. Yes. That's a, That's awesome. Well, hey, we're we're coming up on the end of our time. Um, I really, truly, truly want to thank you for joining. You know, you could have been doing something else better with your time, but you decided to do this. So I appreciate it. No, I'm um, looking forward to this. This is yeah. so exciting. But yeah, I'm so grateful for you uh, inviting me to do this. Yeah, this is a pleasure. And, you know, if, if I do more down the road, I'd love to have you on again. Uh, I don't know how far it'll go, but... Hey, we'll see. Just trying to educate the people. But um yes. what do they say on YouTube? Let's subscribe here for Yeah, subscribe. Go on, go <laughs> on YouTube. Click on the link below and subscribe. Yeah, you know, I, I I send it in the link. I send it in the uh social media post, but I'll say it again. Yeah, go on YouTube, Surviving Depression Channel, Facebook Live, uh, watch it again on Facebook, listen to it on the podcast, uh, Anchor, Spotify. Uh, Google Podcast. You can catch it there on Surviving Depression. And again, my guest, Katina Richardson, thank you so much. And uh, I hope this was uh, educational for the listeners out there. And uh, join me uh, next episode. Thank you again for joining the Surviving Depression podcast. Bye, Carl. Take care. (laughs) 
thank you for joining me on the Surviving Depression Podcast. I am your host, Carl Binger. To those out there suffering from depression, I just want to say to you, you are not alone. I've been there before. There are others suffering now, and I truly hope you will see some light in this darkness soon. You are loved, and I pray that you would be healed of depression's dark grip. I also pray that God would place supportive and understanding people in your life. This podcast or the guests on the show are not meant to replace therapy or emergency services. If you or anyone you know needs immediate mental health assistance, please call 911 or reach out to a medical professional. Please feel free to join and invite family members and friends to our supportive Facebook community, Surviving Depression. Also, visit the website at survivingdepressiongroups.com for merchandise and media resources. Until next time.